1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Filato. On today's show, as we continue to count down toward the draft, we're going to be breaking down the players that we want the Giants to avoid, avoid in the 2020 NFL Draft at cost. Now, some of these players, we wouldn't mind if they take them a few rounds later, but that doesn't appear to be the reality based on projections. So we will be pinning for these guys to be avoided at all costs based on where we expect the Giants to have a chance to take them. But before we dive into the meat and potatoes, Nick, I wanted to touch base with you on how the last 24 hours of your quarantine has been. Quarantine is going well right now. You know, I'm stocked up. Both my fridges are filled with
2: food, frozen meats, and I'm ready to dive into that as much as we're ready to dive into draft talk here on the Big Blue Banter podcast. How about yourself, man? How's quarantine life treating you?
1: Pretty good, actually, you know, especially for quarantine life, I had a nice uh, last 24 hours after we recorded a couple podcasts yesterday, I jumped on a Skype call, video call with my friends, a little Skype and drink, played a, a video, a board game over video chat over Zoom. It's called Camel Up. For those who don't know it, check out Camel Up. It's a friggin' awesome board game. It's basically you with a bunch of friends betting on camel races that's based on dice roll. Um, and cool game where the odds change and you're trying to get the right the bets in before people and it's a nice fun gambling game for those who are degenerates like myself
2: yeah. have you tried fibbage yet online no oh,
1: no you got to tell me about that i don't know about
2: yeah. that yeah fibbage is basically a game where you and your friends you i don't even know the website i think it's Jackbox TV or okay. something along those lines and basically it asks you a question and then you and your friends have to put a fake answer in there and you have to try to trick your friends into picking that fake answer and you get points that way and then there's one real answer out of how many friends That's that cool. are, you have there it's pretty cool
1: I'm a big fan of those kind of games so i did that and then i got to. Watched the first couple episodes of uh, Plot Against America, which I thought was fantastic. They were both set-up episodes, as they typically are with David Simon. But with every David Simon show, the, from The Wire to The Deuce, Treme, I mean, it's just phenomenal content. The best out there, in my opinion. The best written. The best characters. And I love the first two episodes. Uh, obviously, as a Jew, it probably you know hit a couple <laughs> chords for me because it was cool to kind of see this uh, – you know, America back in the 1940s, different era of time when you know there was a war going on overseas. And in this story, I mean it's fictional, but in this story, there is a guy trying to run for president. That's his whole platform is to beat Roosevelt. Like I'll get you out of the war. We shouldn't be in this war. So it's kind of a really interesting premise there so far on that one.
2: Yeah, fun uh, fun fact about the Deuce. I was an extra on that show. What? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Dang. Yeah, the the last
2: episode of the series they they sent out something on backstage.com and i submitted my name to it and i'm not an actor i don't consider myself one but i do uh work in entertainment so i went there and i was there for like 13 hours and i obviously got paid and everything i don't believe you see me on the set but you see a really good friend of mine who i made that day walk past the james franco but yeah no i was i was in there with james franco obviously i'm not shooting the shit with him but i was just alongside him and it was pretty cool to kind of uh see that last scene i don't know i'm sure you saw the last scene kind of okay. develop and dude how many times they just run takes and takes and takes is absolutely ridiculous oh especially for the industry.
1: david simon show the last scene is just always that montage look where they kind of catch up on everybody so is that yeah. the one you're referring to or are you referring to the crazy yep. scene, episode too no
2: nah, it was the scene in times square
1: it's awesome that's pretty awesome man but I had a chance to do that and then today was even better because i finally stepped my game up nick after a nice little seven mile walk uphill came back home and said i can't Go on with this non-weight life. I've, it's been four weeks since I did any kind of exercise for my back or shoulders. And all I've done is push-ups and some, some squats and things like that, you know, step-ups. But finally today, I did a makeshift free weight out of, a, out of a suitcase that I have upstairs and a bunch of books. Quite frankly, I learned today that I don't have nearly as many books and I don't read nearly as much as I probably should. But use the books I have, Nick. Fired them all in a suitcase and did some stuff out back uh, in my backyard and it was it was just felt good to actually be lifting a weight of some sorts
2: i really wish i was just there like as a bee, just to see you <laughs> try to load a suitcase close a suitcase like hold it out and extend it up
1: yeah exactly. that deltoid that.
2: workout i feel bad because i'm like I, I feel like i'm sitting here bragging because i have a gym <laughs> and i i did squats and deads today man and it was a it was a lot of fun it was leg day today
1: leg day is the best day I neglected wow. leg day for the first 29 years of my life, one of the biggest mistakes and disasters ever. But finally, I learned and matured at 29 and realized it's time to start working out legs. And then ever since then, I've it's been the only, that and back are like the only things I actually care about.
2: Do, do you look like a half-used toothpaste uh, container?
1: Uh, I did for a while, but again, year and a half of legs, and I, I've definitely improved there.
2: That's awesome, my man. That's awesome.
1: All right, let's get into this, Nick. We're getting close to the draft, and we felt like. Let's do, an, let's do a podcast on players that we, quite frankly, are, want the Giants to avoid. Now, for this podcast, it's going to be players we want them to avoid. We're going to break down where we want them to avoid them because this is based on our projections for where players will get drafted. Now, as we know, with COVID-19— our projections for where a player can, is going to get drafted could be all over the place. Anyone's projections. What NFL GMs are saying is that people are going to be way – because, listen, usually by this time there's a lot of groupthink and there's a lot – even among these NFL decision makers because there's, there's just so much time and that leads to groupthink. And there's a lot of leaks because, quite frankly, teams are bringing in players for private visits. And they're meeting with players and they're connected to players, and the players are doing things like, you know, Saquon Barkley had the picture with the Giants hoodie on before the Giants drafted him, and everyone made a big deal out of that. And so there's none of that this year, really. And because of that, it's definitely going to make it more unpredictable, but we're doing this based on projections, and these are simply players that we would not take. I want
2: people to understand a uh, reason why groupthink is going to be slightly avoided is because all these scouts and these decision makers meet. basically every single Power Five Pro Day throughout the whole month of March and even into early parts of April. And that obviously is not happening with COVID-19. So I feel like a lot of these NFL franchises will be going with just those safe, Kind of, If you're going to reference it to baseball doubles or singles and doubles, those safe players, those high floor players, maybe their ceilings aren't as high, and the injury, as Dan and I have alluded to in past podcasts, those guys are going to kind of fall by the wayside. But today's podcast, Dan, we're going to be talking about some players that are getting first-round, second-round buzz that you and I just – we might not like that much.
1: And we're going to start here, Nick. I'm going to start at the top with the player I probably – the biggest remote throw pick for me of the entire draft, Uh, obviously assuming Derek Brown doesn't go in – actually – Let's start there. I was going to say that was the second biggest r- remote throw pick, Nick, but let's start there. And I, and I don't want to steal your thunder here. Did, did you have Brown written down? Because I, I, I have others I can get to.
2: I did not have Derek Brown written okay, down. Okay,
1: so let's start with Derek Brown. Why is it a remote throw pick for me? And that's probably still the second biggest remote throw because my biggest remote throw will come on day two, and we'll get to that. But why is Brown a remote throw pick for me? Brown's a remote throw pick for me because I don't care what Dave Gettleman tells you. Yeah, you can have too much at one position, especially if that position is not making a major impact on wins and losses. And unfortunately, I'm just not so sure a player like Derek Brown can make a massive impact on wins and losses. Because quite frankly, and this is something that uh, I think somebody, I think it was Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus tweeted. He says coming into last draft or coming into this draft, he thinks that Dexter Lawrence was a better prospect and was a better player his final collegiate season than Derek Brown was, which was eye-opening to me because Dexter Lawrence didn't take long to translate for the Giants. He was an excellent player for the Giants last year, too. But where did that leave them, Nick? Their defense was terrible, even with Dexter Lawrence. And even once Dexter Lawrence got to play alongside Leonard Williams, defense remained terrible. And there's just only so much an interior defensive line can do to swing these games. And so, for me, it's the opportunity cost. It's not the player. It's not the evaluation of Brown. It's the opportunity cost, which you're giving up at positions of greater importance. And for me, it's a no-brainer remote throw. I think the Giants are going to be in a really, really bad position if they do something like trade down and take Derrick Brown. I mean, they're not going to—I highly doubt they do the unthinkable and draft him at four. But if they trade down and take Derrick Brown and try to pass— and you know, and in the process, don't give themselves a shot at Isaiah Simmons, Patrick Queen, uh, you know, players we think can immediately impact this team, Jedrick Wills. Mikai Beckton, like if you're going to go ahead and do that at positions that can really change the fortunes of this team faster and over time more than someone like Brown, it's a disaster to me.
2: Can't disagree with you. And I love Derek Brown as the prospect, but you're right. It doesn't have that kind of impact on the games. You need to in this NFL, the current NFL, you need to be able to rush the passer and get pressure. And while Derek Brown does create some interior pressure, the upside of it is just not there in this league. And you can't burn a top five pick in the Giants current position with the fact that they allocated a first-round pick last year, that they traded the 68th overall selection for Leonard Williams, that they did all this thing to improve that defensive tackle position over the last few drafts under Dave Gettleman, and even dating back to Jerry Reese with Dalvin Tomlinson. That was a second-round selection. That would just be a huge dereliction of duty by Dave Gettleman if he did that. So I have to agree. As much as I do love Derek Brown, I think he's going to be an excellent player in this league. It's just something that the Giants cannot afford right now.
1: Yeah. And quite frankly, I mean, if you're just looking at the impact Dexter Lawrence made, and it was an awesome impact for the Giants. I mean, he was an excellent player. Does Derek Brown have a little more interior pocket push than Lawrence? Sure. Does he have a lot more? I don't know. And I think it's even debatable if we think he has more to begin with as far as that goes. And when you look at that, I mean, you get you would you disagree on that? Like,
2: no, like, I don't think it's I don't think it's a ridiculous thing to say. I would say Derek Brown yeah. probably does get a little bit more, but we've saw it at the combine too, and I'm not gonna sit here and hold his poor combine against him, but he's not an elite level athlete. No. He's not Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw no. has a lot more juice than he does. He's just a yeah. little bit raw and people i don't know if i think that people think javon kinlaw is like a more leaner defensive t- but javon kinlaw is like six foot five and he i think he weighs only like four or five pounds less than Derek brown you could check the numbers i don't have them in front of me but he is a monster he's just more of a raw player and a different type of player than brown but either way neither of them should be linked to the giants right now because look yeah. at the giants freaking roster it's there's holes all over the place yes. and one position that they're loaded at is defensive tackle
1: yeah and you could convince me if there was you know, if there was the next Aaron Donald, Geno Atkins gap shooter, a Kim Davis gap shooter in this class, sure. Derek Brown is not that guy. He's not that three-tech gap shooter that's just going to completely dominate every guard and center that tries to get in his way. That is just not in this class. If there was Aaron Donald in this class, I, you know what, Nick I'd probably be open to it. As crazy. I don't know where all these guys would play. I really have no idea how they would do it, but – that type of guy is almost more valuable to me than, than the edge guy that can be kind of taken out by scheme. But the, the guys that just are so hard to deal with on the interior. And I get, so I get the idea of it, but th- these aren't guys like that, like Dexter Lawrence, BJ Hill, Leonard Williams. Those aren't guys like that. That's not their first thing they're best at. And it's not, and they're not near the level of a Donald, the King Davis, you know, Gino Atkins in his prime type, type type of style there. So, you know, I don't see it with Derek Brown. I don't see it with Kim Law, And So for me, Derek Brown would for sure be uh, one of my avoids in this class. Give us one of the players you're going to avoid, and it could be any day of the draft.
2: For any day of the draft, and a lot of these guys that I'm going to be going over, I really want to avoid just because they're being talked about in the day two range. And the one that I'm going to hit on is Nick Harris. He's a center from Washington. I feel like Nick Harris fits perfectly into an outside zone or maybe even an inside zone scheme because he's known for his mobility, but he's not the kind of... Center that I want the Giants to be looking at right now. Dan and I both want somebody who has a little bit more power at the point of attack. And that's just not Nick Harris. I saw him down at the senior bowl, and man, he was getting bitched in the one-on-ones. And that's not something to just totally hold against him. But he's just not the kind of player who's going to generate a lot of power through his lower body, through his core, and up into his upper body at the point of attack. He's somebody who has very nimble feet, who's going to be good in pass protection coming from the Pac-12. Those are those kind of offensive linemen a lot of the times. That's what Nick Harris thrived with was his footwork and pass protection. And I'm looking for a center who can bring a little bit more juice. And I hear his name from some analysts, not a lot. I th- think consensus, a lot of people think he's going to be in the fourth round in day three, early parts of day three. But some people even said, uh, late second round, third round. And I, that would be way too rich for me. And I especially want to bring this up because Nick Harris is a center and center is a position, a priority for the New York Giants. So if they were to do that, In the second round, say they trade and get more second-round picks and go with someone like Nick Harris, I don't like that fit-in-the-gap power type of system that Jason Garrett is probably going to implement with the New York Giants. So that's one player. That second round, maybe even the third round, I would be a little bit against, even though I think that he can be solid in the zone scheme in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I I don't find anything wrong with that. I mean, if you're going to get overpowered and dominated at the Senior Bowl against this group of interior defensive guys— i don't even know what's going to happen to you when you get the nfl level you're sure sure as hell not going to be able to start for the new york giants in 2019 in week one in my opinion you just have no shot against javon hargrave and fletcher cox and the guys in dallas and you know whatever washington's going to get in there i mean i'm blanking on some guys but washington has a really good guy from from bama what's his name the interior guy there from bama um i don't know why i'm blanking on this guy's deron
2: Payne and jonathan allen
1: Jonathan Allen. They're on pain play, yeah. okay, but Jonathan Allen's the real deal when healthy. So, like, it's just not going to work. There's no point to me to getting a guy like this who's best fit for a zone scheme, a really system-dependent pick for a system that you don't even expect the Giants to have. So, yeah, I get the position of need with Nick Harris, of course, center. Everybody wants to upgrade center. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a big difference on wins and losses. But I wouldn't force it with Harris either, Nick. Yeah. And the next one for me, actually, is probably the worst pick I think the Giants can make in the draft. and. This is not just the worst pick non-day one. This is the worst pick overall. If he's on the board and the Giants are sitting at 36 and they select USC offensive tackle Austin Jackson, it's to me a a pretty devastating pick. I understand he's not even 21 years old. He's 6'5", 322 pounds, great arm length, and obvious, obvious athleticism. He really and truly looks the part. He's exactly what you would think you want. I mean, he even had an 88th percentile 40-yard dash, 507-40. Everybody likes that. 27 bench reps was great. The broad jumps and verticals were great. He's explosive. He's long. He's explosive. He's athletic. But then you go ahead and you look, Nick, at that. First of all, he didn't run the 20-yard shuttle, which to me is the most important test for an athlete at the combine for specifically the offensive tackle position. And I've seen some studies on this recently. It's kind of what led me in the direction of putting Andre Dillard over the top as one of my top 10 prospects last year in the class. There's a lot of, there's a really good success rate with guys who are in the 80, I think it was 80, above the 86th percentile or 85th percentile in that, in that short, in the 20 yard short shuttle. He didn't do it at all. And I think that was for a reason. Then in the three cone, he totally bombed it, almost eight second three cone, 40th percentile. So if this guy's not even that elite of an athlete, which he has to be, in my opinion, then to me, it's just a total disaster because when you watch him play, he's nowhere near ready to play the offensive tackle position, in my mind, in the NFL at all. He's a complete project. And, you know, I tweeted about this. This was from John Ledyard, who we had on the podcast a couple episodes ago, Nick. um, And he wrote about this in his offensive line rankings. He's like, are we ever going to get to the point where we stop uh, projecting these type of players, these type of tackles in rounds one and two? Like, how many times do we have to be fooled by these guys from Colton Miller? I mean, there's countless examples of guys like this who shouldn't really be going before day three, and yet they're projected to go early day two. And it's just crazy to me. For Jackson, this is a project I would never take a chance on. I think it could be, end up being a total wasted pick for whoever makes it. Um, and if the Giants make it at 36, it's an absolute disaster pick, despite the position of need, at least for me, Nick.
2: I can't disagree, and I have a lot of faith in Mark Colombo's ability to develop these younger guys, especially somebody with the athletic profile of Austin Jackson. But I've seen a lot of Austin Jackson tape, and he just gets beat around the edge despite the fact that he has these so-called quick feet, and his technique is so raw and just underdeveloped, and that gives you hope that maybe he can develop, but also he has a lot of balance issues, which is something I find is that he gets on the ground so much, and I just it just really concerns me. If you're talking about the 36 pick and Austin Jackson for the Giants, because I don't think he could step in right now and be someone who's going to be a solid protector for Daniel Jones. Yes, he can play left tackle in the future if he develops the right way, but. This is somebody that I want to draft later, maybe late day three going into day four when it comes to a developmental pick in the current giant uh, state of the New York Giants, where you kind of need to nail these picks and you're not in a luxury spot to kind of wait and develop with top 40 selections. Austin Jackson just doesn't fit. And I hear him mocked in the first round a lot by people I really respect. I just, I don't see it. And I know the NFL can get really stubborn. The NFL, they look at these guys and they say, well, look at his broad jump in 97th percentile. Look at his vertical jump, 84th percentile. Has those explosive traits. He's long, 34 and 1/8 inch arms, and he has big hands. Those are the kind of prototypical left tackle that you want on your team. And the NFL kind of gets stubborn with that sometimes, and they'll be like, ah, well, our coaches, our coaching staff, I call it coaching hub- hubris. I've referenced it on this podcast a couple times. They think they can just coach these guys up all the time. It just doesn't always happen like that. Development is not always linear. And Austin Jackson has way too many warts for the Giants to consider at 36. Maybe another team who has a very stable foundation right now of other players that are competent in those positions, who have veteran quarterbacks and maybe a quicker system, not a vertical-based system, they could bring in Austin Jackson and have the time to develop them. But for the New York Giants, that does is not the case right now, especially with everything going on in the world with COVID-19. So I would really not like that.
1: Yeah. It's a remote throw. I mean, with Jackson, it was a different, you know, you want to talk about a guy. like We're not just really, I'm not really just focusing here, Nick, on just the technical issues with his game. Like obviously we know Makai Becton has some technical issues, but Makai Becton doesn't get beat in spite of them because it's really impossible to get around him at times, which is crazy. But this is a guy who is getting beat. This is a guy who has bad tape. This is a guy who's performing terribly and he's doing it in the Pac-12. Like if you're getting destroyed by these crappy Pac-12 edges and the Pac-12 really has just a collection of bad edges across the board, are we talking about any of these edges? And at least in this draft class, maybe there's some some underclassmen that I'm not thinking of. I don't know the Pac-12 inside out, but in this draft class alone, it's a bad edge group and he's getting destroyed there. So it's like, what the hell can you ever expect a guy who's getting killed in the Pac-12 to have any be anywhere close to starting in the NFL anytime soon? And I have yeah. no interest in that.
2: Yeah, Bradley and Nye, who's a quality edge prospect who is an edge for Utah, so he's a Pac-12 player. They went up against each other this year, and Bradley and I put on a clinic, beat him around yeah, the that edge. That was the game. That play. was one of
1: the games I saw, Nick. That was one of the games I, that that really that really made me think, like, holy crap, this guy should not be mocked as high.
2: Yeah, and his, and just he just doesn't position himself well to make a lot of these blocks. There's just a lot of wards there. So for the Giants at 36, couldn't agree with you more, man. That's just – it's not a scenario that gives me any kind of warm and fuzzy. And for my second guy I wanted to go over, it's actually a player I like. It's actually a player I kind of like. I think he's going to be a solid player in the NFL in the right scheme, but I'm hearing him referenced in day two more towards the third round, and I don't feel like he's somebody that I – would be comfortable the Giants investing in, and that's Edge Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. He's the opposite edge player from Julian Aquara, and he thrives against the run. He's very good at the point of attack, setting the edge. He's like 265 pounds, has a really big hands, so he, there's a lot to like from that, but he just doesn't have the juice as a pass rusher to be a day two pick for me for the New York Giants. He needs a lot of uh, work with his pass rushing moves. I don't believe he's overly explosive, so I watched a lot of Notre Dame tape. My dad's a big Notre Dame fan, so I end up catching a lot. And you know what? I saw him out there, solid against the run, is good in that capacity. But for the New York Giants right now, it's just not a player that really entices me. And I know the Giants need edge help, but I'm looking for a more twitched up, juicier. <laughs> that's a weird way to term it. But somebody with a lot more juice than Khalid Kareem. And that's just not something that he has. He can thrive in a different system. He can play strong side and edge set the edge very well in those kind of uh systems and maybe better as a 4-3 end because right. he's like 265 pounds but as an outside linebacker i don't think he's overly fluid in space and it's just not something that i'm really invested in right now so that's definitely a player that for the new york giants on day two i would not be overly comfortable with taking because i just don't believe he has the pass rushing upside
1: yeah, sure. And I mean, listen. After the failed Kareem Martin experiment, it's probably best the Giants kind of look in a different direction at the linebacker position more with the O'Shane's Eximian types and the and the Glanzo Carter types, especially given what they built up front on the interior defensive line. You really have just less of a need for these edge setters on the second level. I think. I mean, you're always going to need somebody to set the edge on the second level, but there's different ways to do that. Obviously, we've seen. You know, you talked about it. Jabril Peppers did a great job as that alley defender. So, I think that. When it comes to when it comes to a player like Klee Klee Cream, it just it's just not there for me. Too, I don't see the fit. So hopefully, he's not a player they're interested or in or anything like that. Um, in this class, for my next player, Nick, that I want to avoid, I'm going to stay in the day two range, 36 overall, or trade up, whatever it may be. Stay at the same position, offensive tackle, and I'm going to go Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. So for me, it won't be as great of a remote throw with Wilson to Jackson, because at least with Wilson, I feel somewhat confident I'm going to get a day one contributor in the run game. A big anchor type at that right tackle position and somebody who can be like a solid starter, potentially in the NFL. Nothing great. Somebody who's always going to struggle in pass protection for certain matchups will have those matchups where he's just getting bullied and destroyed all game Two, one, two, three. hold the games with like one or two or three holding penalties and multiple pressures and sacks given up. So it's not great. I don't really want him at all. That's why he's on my avoid list. But again, not, not Jackson level bad for me, Nick, but I just don't see the upside with Wilson. I don't see the point in drafting a tackle like this just because he has the frame and the size and the strength and the length, but I don't see his issues in pass production really ever fixing themselves because I believe it, it more, more, mostly athletic limitations there more than anything else protecting on that edge on an island. So for me, without that kind of upside, I can't use the 36 pick when I know what else will be there on the defensive side of the ball at 36 overall.
2: Yeah, with, I, with Isaiah Wilson, I, when I watched him, I thought he was a better athlete than I initially thought because i thought his athleticism was really down on the dirt but it's not elite or anything like that yes i love his length and i love his power He's a very powerful player at the point of attack but man he does not know how to land a punch for his freaking life his timing his pad level all these little technical things are so off his placement he's a total tonger when it comes to just coming around like i always say outside Can you of the explain what, the, what a
1: tonger is nick for, for those yeah so the pod
2: Yeah, so if any of you guys ever stayed at a cheap hotel, they they give you those little ice trays, right? And you go and you get the ice and you mix your little alcoholic beverage and have a great time. At least that's what I do. And they have a tong, the little metal tool that you use to grab the ice. Basically, a tonger is an offensive lineman who comes around and attaches to the outside parts of an edge or a defensive player instead of coming up and through and gaining the inside breastplate. And then you can really hold and control, keeping your elbows tight and kind of using your low center of gravity to kind of just stay in front of a defensive player. He comes up and around. Now, when you're wide like that, your arms are exposed to any kind of counter moves. You have really no control or grip. And that's kind of exactly what Isaiah Wilson's a lot. He gives his chest up, which is something you do not want to do because when you give your chest up, you're incredibly vulnerable to any kind of counter move, any kind of power move. And it also leads to pad level issues and leverage issues. And those are two things that I saw on Isaiah Wilson's tape is the fact that he does get a little bit high because he's a bigger guy and he does have those – pad level issues and it leads to leverage issues from people who are a little bit stronger If he cleans those technical issues up I I think he could be a solid starter in the league but round one and or pick 36 it, it doesn't necessarily uh give me any kind of warm and fuzzy when it comes to uh Isaiah Wilson with the New York Giants he just needs to clean a lot of those things up when I started hearing about him being mocked in the first round from like guys like Daniel Jeremiah people i respect in the industry i was like what the like really like why then there's then there's reports coming out that some teams value him more than andrew thomas and i'm just like i i I just don't yeah i I don't
1: how can anyone value him more than andrew thomas i don't get it
2: yeah neither do i especially because andrew thomas has that length andrew thomas i think he
1: has (laughs) everything he has what you would want from from wilson but he's actually good
2: yeah yeah, I don't know. And even even Wilson's footwork, I felt like it could be some, it a sort of herky-jerky at times, yeah. too. So that, there was just a lot of inconsistencies with his game that make me be like, first-round pick? Okay, I uh, hope another team balls for that and not the New York Giants.
1: Yeah, no doubt. All right, give yeah, us your next one, Nick.
2: Yeah, so I also have another polarizing player, I would say. Austin Jackson, I would say, is an offensive player who is very polarizing. I think this player is very polarizing, and that's Alabama defensive tacker, tackle Roquan Davis. Now, Roquan Davis went to Alabama, and everybody – I think he he was a five-star recruit. Everybody raved about him, and he never really lived up to the right. expectation. Now, he's a – He's a longer player. He's like six seven, but I think he came to the combat at six six. But people were saying that he was like six eight. I remember when I studied him uh, last year. But he's a bigger dude. He's three hundred eleven pounds, just under thirty four inch arms, and he just never lived up to the bill at Alabama. But I feel like he's the type of player that Dave Gettleman would fall in love with. That Joe Judge would get, uh, could be linked to because of his Alabama connections with Nick Saban. He was on the staff for a while back in like two thousand nine or two thousand eleven or somewhere around those those years and he's a player that i just um he's never scratched the surface of what he could be and i want to see nick Saban came out and was very candid about how he surrounded himself with the wrong people in the locker room of alabama which kind of led to him not reaching his his ceiling and then he was uh very contrite and was taking ownership of that which is something i like to see from wolcon davis he was saying okay yeah i could have done a better job but with those little issues like that and then him going to the nfl getting a paycheck him in day two, that's not something that I want to see for the New York Giants either. And he's a polarizing guy. I think somebody's going to like him, somebody's going to develop him, and I think he has a high ceiling, but his floor is too low. The Giants, like we talked about with Derek Brown, they're stacked at that interior defensive lineman position. So I will, I don't want to see Gettleman allocate a day two pick there. Roquan Davis seems to be a player who can eat a lot of space, can eat double teams, and somebody who might entice... Dave Gettleman so that's a player that I will Hope the Giants
1: avoid there in day two This is an excellent call Nick because I don't think Enough people are considering how, how likely you know, Or how tempting it's going to be for Dave Gettleman To select a player like this Or any interior defensive lineman that He has a super high grade on If he's sitting there at say 99 or even 36 And he has a really high a much Higher grade on these players He's said before And he'll say it again I never feel like I can get I can have too many players at one single position. He's also talked up the importance of stopping the run and how he needs to do it. He also has talked up the importance of a defensive interior line rotation. And with Davis, now the good the, the reason I'm I'm taking a deep breath here, Nick, and not as panicked about it is because, like you said, I think they'll actually help them avoid Davis that he had off field issues because they'll have the inside insight on that, thanks to Judge. But He does, you know, have that profile of a a former top recruit who never made it, should have been much better at Alabama, 6'6", 3'11", with insanely massive hands, 11-inch hands. Like, he should be unbelievable, but at the same time, he never rushed the passer well his entire career. He rushed the passer terribly. He was good against the run and was a terrible pass rusher. What is the value of a defensive guy like that who, A, or any prospect who, A, can't rush the passer, B, is great against the run, C, looks the part, but D, had off-field issues, and then E, wasn't a good athlete, did not test well at all at the combine. A 28-inch vertical, 36 percentile, a three-cone of nearly eight seconds, which is devastatingly bad, 28th percentile or 26th percentile. And then, obviously, the 40 was okay at one But his 20-yard shuttle, which, again, very important for me for these linemen, 17th percentile was so bad. So, and even the bench was terrible, 24 reps at that size. Uh, obviously, the long arms hurt him a little there. But he's just a player who, to me, is a total avoid. Uh, and I hope the Giants really can find a way to avoid an interior defensive lineman until day three at the earliest. They just simply don't need it, and they can't afford it.
2: Exactly, man. You can't allocate your all your picks every year to the interior defensive line. There's value in stopping the run. There is, but you need to have a complete team. The Giants are far from that right now. As you guys know from hearing Dan and I bitch about every podcast about the holes on this roster that need to be replenished. So do not spend a top 100 selection yeah. on an interior defensive lineman.
1: Can't do it, Nick. And here for my next player I want them to avoid. It's a player I'm much lower on consensus than consensus. This will be a bit of a controversial pick even though it's a pretty obvious one for the Giants because I don't think he at all fits what they need Uh, but overall I'm lower on him than most and that's AJ Epinesa from Iowa a lot of people have him as a surefire first rounder a lot of people have him as a top 25 even top 20 prospect I don't see it I see for stretches he dominates I see for other stretches he disappears I see that he's doing it against big 10 offensive tackles that worries me I see that he's doing it um from a position I don't know how it translates to the NFL I think he's probably best fit for a 4-3 defensive end but I don't even really think he fits there I really think his best long-term projection would be if he could somehow find a way to add size to his frame which doesn't even look like it when you look at his frame but then be like an interior gap shooter interior defensive line gap shooter I certainly don't want him on the edge of the Giants defensive system that we're projecting with Patrick M. I don't see a fit at all and if you want to put him on the interior like a BJ Hill type or something with the goal of rushing the passer maybe but I think he's probably too small for that I don't see the fit at all with Epinesa I'm worried about the stretches of, of the games where he just disappears and I'm worried about the production really compiled against a certain ty- a certain style of offensive tackle he's just not going to get to go against in the NFL so for me I would never take him at 36, even if he lasts that long when most people are projecting him as a first rounder, Nick.
2: I look at Epinesa as a 3-4 base five technique who could kick inside and play three technique. He doesn't have the juice or the explosive burst to play the edge. I act, I'm higher on Epinesa, I feel like, than you are. It wasn't that long ago everyone was talking about him in the top 15, which seemed a little bit rich because I always had concerns about his athletic ability. But then he went to the combine and he had a pretty shitty combine and he put up an embarrassing five percentile bench press, which is really weird. I don't put much into the bench press, but the one thing I like about Epinesa's game is his hand technique and his counter moves and how they have a lot of pop he has a lot of his heavy hands as you call it in like the scouting community he can really uh dominate with his power moves and that's kind of how he won against big 10 tackles I mean he was a productive player at Iowa I remember when Iowa recruited him it was a huge get for them because they're not used to getting five-star type of recruits but I want to say his father or uncle played at Iowa back in the 90s or the late 80s so he was one of those kind of players who went to a uh, legacy player, as they call him. And he had 11 and a half sacks this past season, ten and a half the year before, then 14 tackles for a loss in 2019 and 16 and a half in 2018. He was really uh, just the defensive player in the Kirk Fer- on Kirk Ferentz's team. But for the Giants, I have to hundred percent agree with you right now because he's basically a defensive lineman, adjacent. like he's not that kind of twitched up edge rusher that I've been referring to. I think if he goes to a team like new England, who kind of predicates their defensive linemen and their edge players on Power and strength at the point of attack and setting edges, he could be a solid player in the league for a long time. But for the New York Giants, right now, they're not in the position to bring in a player like this. Love his length. I love his ability to make plays. You're right. Sometimes he does disappear. I've seen that before, too. But he's also been a game wrecker for Iowa. So I think I'm a little higher on him, but I have to 100% agree with you. When it comes to the Giants, this is a Giants podcast. It's to know for me.
1: Yeah. No doubt, Nick. And on that note, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
2: With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking... There's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, that is BLUEWIRE, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution.
1: All right, Nick, as we dive back into this list of players that we hope the Giants avoid at cost, at our projected cost, the rest of the list is kind of comprised of players I had. You have far fewer players that you'd like to avoid, Nick. So that's a good thing, I guess. Um, but I'm a little stingier there. I'm going to start here with a player the Giants probably wouldn't draft, but I needed to get him out there because I think he's the, one of the most overrated prospects in this draft. And I prepared to be wrong about this because uh, there are just so many people in the, in the scouting community that really like him. And so I just don't know if I'm completely missing it here, Nick. But that's running back DeAndre Swift from Georgia. So a lot of people have him as the RB1. Daniel Jeremiah, I think, has him as a top 15 prospect overall or somewhere in his top 20. I don't see it at all. DeAndre Swift has some of the lowest rates among all running backs in college football, especially, certainly, among the top running backs. And that is, at, uh, sorry, the lowest rates of force missed tackles uh, per game, per touch. And Yards after contact per attempt. Those are the two advanced stats I think are the most, translate the best at the next level. There's been studies done on this by Pro Football Focus. Quite frankly, I think it's the best thing Pro Football Focus does, at least the most accurate. Um, It's their their projections there at that running back position. And for me, I don't see it there. I don't see the deep speed there. I think he gets caught a lot on breakaway plays where he shouldn't for somebody who's considered this top prospect. I get the versatility there, but he's just not at all a runner I would have anywhere near the top of my board. My RB1 is Jonathan Taylor, without a doubt. And it's not just because of my Wisconsin bias. You look at people like Scott Barrett, who've done a great case, who've done a great job to show, you know, why the hell is Jason, as Jonathan Taylor, not the obvious RB1. But, you know, I'd also take Nick Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for sure over DeAndre Swift. I'd take Cam Akers for sure over DeAndre Swift. And I'd be tempted to take J.K. Dobbins. So for me, Swift would be closer to RB4, RB5. I would never take him in round two. I would probably never take a running back for the most part in round two unless it's like a Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor type who just falls because nobody took the position. Um, But I don't have him anywhere near where he's going to go in this draft
2: yeah deandre swift i haven't studied him and done like an evaluation on swift but i've watched a lot of georgia film because right. i studied isaiah wilson and andrew thomas and i'm definitely higher on him than you are i, I feel i i saw a guy with pretty good footwork and i I've, i think there were a couple reps that i saw him do where i was like holy shit is that uh number seven out there he, he broke a couple tackles and had a couple of those highlight reel type of runs but i, I can't really uh because i didn't do an evaluation on him i feel like it would be i wouldn't be doing it justice because i i just kind of studied him by osmosis sure. and i it, from just you know ostensibly he looked like a solid player who warrants a day two let
1: me make that clear i think he is a solid yeah. player i don't think he's the rb1
2: okay when you yeah when you say the rb uh one i could definitely see but again like these running backs like i think you just you just said it I don't, I'm not spending, well especially for the Giants, but even for some of these other teams. Like I'm waiting till day 2. Like yeah,
1: that's it's, that's they like running back on day 1 these. Days. Wait well, wait, crap, the Giants did that 2 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? At least in that draft, the Seahawks, <laughs> wait, the draft Seahawks Rashad somehow Panic. made it worse by trading up to to take Rashad Penny.
2: Dude, uh, when I saw that I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" I mean, wait, at least Saquon Barkley is a talented running back. And I was against that pick hundred percent, but at least he has talent. He's not Leonard Fournette or Rashad freaking penny. So that's the one thing I can say. Okay. At least there's that, but yeah, they, for Deandre Swift, um, I'd, I'd probably be a little bit higher than you are on him. But, uh, again, I can see the, uh, I could see concerns, especially if you're talking about him on in the second round.
1: Yep. All right. I'll get to another one of mine here, Nick, and this one you might have a little more, uh, you might be able to provide a little bit more insight on. This is a player who was really hyped up to me, especially during the senior bowl time as a as a back end first round pick, somebody I was gonna love when I watched. And then when I put on his tape, I saw a really stiff player who is a at best a projection to me. And although he's an insane athlete, so like it's hard to call an insane athlete to his degree of projection. The way with how stiff he looks on to me when I watch him and with where I, I just don't see him as a safety and I don't know if he's just an auto translation at linebacker, I'm going to go with Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. Like for me, I don't at all see the hype on Duggar as far as the first round hype goes um, with Duggar. So tell me what I'm missing there or if, or if you kind of came to that same conclusion uh, that you were kind of a little bit surprised by the hype when you actually took the time to dive into Kyle Duggar's tape.
2: Yeah, it's hard to find a lot of Kyle Duggar tape because he played Division Two at Lenore Ryan. And what I'll say is he was just – he's literally playing against players like me. Yeah. <laughs> like those are the kind of like athletic guys he's going up against. But let's against. Just
1: say – let's translate. Okay, I, I, I agree with that. So that kind of takes away a little bit. So let's say what you saw from him at the Senior Bowl then because he's playing in much better competition there.
2: Yeah, he, he played well at the Senior Bowl and his athletic ability was definitely on display because a lot of these kids from – uh, the senior bought a D three kid a couple of years ago. Yeah. A lot of these kids from these smaller schools, the first question is how athletic are they? Like you have to look at them compared to these power five, these sec, ACC big 10 players. Can they compete athletically? And Duggar checked all of those boxes and he showed quality. I would say reps in the man coverage drills and things like that. And he was, had that kind of explosiveness and that quick burst that you saw in a little bit of film that I was able to get for Lenore Ryan. But I agree. I think, he's, I think he's a raw player right now. I, I don't necessarily know if he has a full grasp on what he's doing. I think he was just out athleting people and he's one of those like see ball, get ball type of players. So I feel the first round is a little bit rich, especially when you look at Jeremy Chin who played at uh, in the FCS level at Southern Illinois. I think he was... similar case you know he went into the uh senior bowl people were like okay can this guy athletically compete he definitely did he went to the combine blew it up but he seems a little bit more polished and like he knows what he's doing and i think he's a it's hard to say a better athlete but i think he probably has higher athletic uh traits at least what i saw from like his range and things along those lines and that explosiveness on the tape but I think Duggar is going to go somewhere on day two when it comes, I think, the second round. But for the Giants, I would not like that. Yes, he's a safety, and yes, he has that really quick
1: trigger. Is he, he a safety,
2: Is he a safety? Yeah, he, he'd play like safety and nickel. I know, for, but do you see him Bryant. as a
1: safety at the NFL level?
2: Oh, at the NFL level? I can see a team taking him and trying to play him, Will, and play him as the, maybe yeah. a dime linebacker, dime nickel though. linebacker.
1: That, that, I'm, that, that's what I'm saying. You see him as an actual safety. I don't know.
2: I think he can be a, a strong safety play the robber role, but I don't see him. I don't see him in the deep single high. So, yeah, I uh, I see the concerns that you bring up, and I, I think his athletic ability and the fact that you can kind of use him in different uh, molds. If he goes to a team with a solid defensive coordinator, defensive staff, I think they can kind of put him in yeah. and kind of gradually uh, integrate him into the defense and have him slowly understand what's going on from a, from a mental. Uh, portion because the jump from a d2 to the nfl is you know extreme Excellent. but uh no I, I i agree with you on this one though because i don't see the first round hype either especially yeah. when you look at the other safeties that are in this class antoine winfield jr from minnesota uh, ashton davis from cal jeremy chin from something and even Illinois. if you're just
1: looking at the other safeties in the class who project more like him because obviously winfield and davis are a different type of safety but even if you're just looking at the safeties direct like him jeremy chin i take jeremy chin over him in heartbeat i take jeremy chin 30 picks before i take kyle Duggar personally
2: I'm a, I'm a bigger Jeremy Chin fan than, uh, yeah. than I am a Kyle Duggar fan as well. But I feel like a lot of people have caught up to that. I feel like yeah. that's
1: consensus
2: at this it point. Is now,
1: it is now more consensus than ever. But yeah, but there's still some people projecting Duggar in round one.
2: I think it's rich. I really do. Yeah. For sure. I think, right. I think at the end of the day, he's going to be a, a mid-second round pick is what I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, I'll say end of the day, he'll go toward the end of the second round to some team in the back that's, end. That's fair. Okay. Let's go to another player again from me because Nick Nick just doesn't hate any players in this class hey good for him he's not a hater like I'm not like
2: gonna lie Dan you 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 had the list together before me and you had I think two or three guys that I would have Austin Jackson Isaiah Wilson okay. and I think another guy that we haven't
1: talked about yet would be on that list okay well let's get to maybe who that guy is and that for me is T Higgins the wide receiver out of Clemson now if I'm talking about guys that I want to avoid out of this whole list I'm probably higher on him than any at- any other player individually speaking. But when I factor in one that I'm not, I don't have him ranked high on my receiver list. I have, I have him just outside my top 10. I, I go back and forth to 10 and just that's my top 10. Most people have him in their wide receiver five, six range. When I factor that, and when I factor in how many other receivers I like in this class, that you can get 30 or 40 or 60 picks later from where the giants are drafting at 36 overall, really the only chance they're going to have to take a guy like Higgins To me, it's just not even close. I don't see it with Higgins. Um, If you could tell me I can get Higgins or Michael Pittman 20 picks later, I'm taking Michael Pittman any day. I'm taking Michael Pittman at the same pick as I'm taking T. Higgins. And if you tell me I can get Gandy Golden 100 to 150 picks after I can get T. Higgins, that, to me, is just a no-brainer from the value standpoint. So, for me, it's going to be a disaster for the most part if the Giants take any receiver at 36. Like, sure, if, like, Justin Jefferson dropped all the way there, I could see, like, okay, it's really just the best value, like, possible. <laughs> How can you pass on a value? But I'm still going to be angry about it. They really don't need to burn it. They should never be burning top picks on these skilled players for the most part, and they really don't need to do it now with all the needs and everything they'd be passing up at 36 other positions but as far as higgins goes if he's the guy at 36 nick i'm just so out on that
2: to higgins to me uh i think i value michael pittman more as well i think we're on the same page when it comes to that but I, athletically i just have a lot of questions i think he could be a solid receiver when it comes to 50 50 balls but he vertical speed i think he ran like a 4-4-3 at his pro day because i think they were one of the last clemson was one of the last teams to have a pro day. But his ten-yard split came out to be like a one-six-six, which was, I think, worse than Tristan Wirfs. So off the line of scrimmage, it's not exactly impressive, and it takes a while to accelerate. So if the Giants do go the route of selecting receiver at pick thirty-six, which I believe you and I would both be very much against. I- I do not want it to be T. Higgins. I would much rather go, if they're going to go with a big body, I'd rather see a Michael Pittman Jr. from USC be that selection, or you just wait and you can get someone like Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty later on the draft, or Colin you Johnson from Texas.
1: Can get somebody like that.
2: Exactly. There's going to be way too much value for the Giants at 36 at other positions of need than wide receivers. So, yeah, I'm totally out on that as well. T. Higgins, though, he could go to a team, and a, I'm, I think he could be a solid big body Receiver in this lease, someone like I know it's like the helmet scouting thing, which I hate to do, but someone like Mike Williams for yeah. the Chargers who also came from Clemson who had separation questions and speed questions, but still wins 50 50 balls and has slight upside as a vertical threat, despite the fact that he's not overly yeah. fast. Right. I just think yeah. he has good body control and catch radius. And that's something that Higgins does possess.
1: No doubt. Like I'm saying, like out of all the guys that I'm avoiding on this list. He's the highest ranked Like, he's the guy I like the most. He could still be good. I'd still rather him than Austin Jackson, honestly. Even though Austin Jackson plays a position of need, I'd still rather Higgins. Not even close. I think Austin Jackson's just completely burning a pick if you take a guy like that at 36. But I just don't want it. I don't see it. And I don't have him ranked high enough. So, for me, that's another avoid. And for my last avoid, Nick, because I won't dive into Jake Fromm and Jacob Ease and two guys that I just would never pick. And I think it's so funny when, like, Ian Rappaport recently reported, like, there's been buzz building that Jake Fromm's going to be a back-end round one pick, like— I think you can just copy and paste that report every single draft season. Like I remember the same report for Kyle LaLeta and Davis Webb, literally the exact same report for both quarterbacks that they were getting day one buzz and they were going to potentially be picked by one team on day one. Both guys lasted to the end of round three for, De- for Davis Webb. And then the fourth round for Kyle LaLeta, and they're both out of the NFL basically already. So just to t- I think Fromm is on that path, the out of the NFL path soon, I get it. He can stay on time and in rhythm in the system. He's, further along mentally processing than a lot of these guys. But arm talent isn't there, and the accuracy is so scattershot for me. It's just a disaster. And you're talking about a guy who had (laughs) Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson as his tackles and DeAndre Swift and the talent they've had at receiver there, and yet this guy just can't figure it out to be consistent there.
2: So So. it's a fall from grace because, remember, his freshman year, I mean, 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions, went to the oh, yeah. uh, national championship game. I liked I him
1: in his freshman year a lot as a prospect. That's the crazy part. He's yeah. only gotten worse.
2: Yeah, I guarantee that he's, he's going to go to a team like the Patriots and end up being a solid starter or a Brian Maybe. Hoyer type of player. Maybe, like Maybe Brian Hoyer. I
1: can see a, definitely a queer backup here, like a Colt McCoy yeah. type of thing like going on like for sure. That, and I can see a guy who's going to come in if he goes to the right team and like tear up the preseason. Like kind of like Ryan Finley did with Cincinnati last year. Remember, Ryan Finley was unreal in the preseason. People were like, "Holy shit, this guy's good." The Bengals found a steal, and then he got to the real level, and they put him in the regular season, and it was like total disaster. It's like, oh wait a second, that was the preseason when it's really easy for these guys with limited arm talent to look good. Now they got to face edge blitzes and zero blitzes, and they have to actually hit spots, and they and they got to challenge defenses down the field. And so I can see that potentially happening. But for me, when it comes to Fromm and Eason, guys who are projected to maybe go end of round one beginning of day two any part of day two uh, if it's me i'm not doing that and instead 100 picks later i'm taking cole mcdonald out of hawaii or i'm taking anthony gordon out of washington state and hoping i hit another gardner midshoot because those guys can also stay on time and rhythm in a passing game and those guys to me look a lot better as passers when i watch them a lot better somehow than jacob from with a working while uh, working with a lot less
2: I know a lot of people like James Morgan, too, the kid from, uh, I think it's like UCF. It's one of the Florida uh, schools. That's not Florida, Florida State. I haven't seen him, but I know a lot of people I respect have him as somebody day three that they could target. But Fromm and Easton, talk about two totally different prospects when it it comes to just pure what one could do with his arm and then what one could do with his brain and how if they could just combine themselves, they would make one hell of a prospect.
1: Yep. Sure. For sure. And then, and then, so that, that one, you know, I wanted to touch on it just because I thought it was interesting, but the last pick for me, the last guy I want, a player I want to avoid, this one also might be a little controversial because he was just highly productive at the collegiate level. And that is not why I'm avoiding him and a lot of people like him. And that's Gino stone, the safety out of Iowa for me was stone. I've seen this story too many times, ultra productive player at the collegiate level in the big 10 who seems when I watch him to be a step slow and he goes to the combine and just is an absolute disaster at the combine. Like just looks like somebody who should not be in the NFL and who benefited from playing in the slow, you know, the slow big big ten style of football where you're not tested at, as much in coverage. And for Stone, he's a guy who I'm trying to pull up now his combine stuff because it was just so bad. He was just so disappointed. I, at
2: I have it in front of me.
1: Okay. <laughs> I yeah, I got it now. So so yeah. so go ahead. What was that?
2: Six percentile in height at 510. That's 207 pounds. That's 48th percentile. 29 and one fourth inch arms. That's a zero percentile for the <laughs> position. That's terrible. Hands, whatever. 462. That's 27th percentile. Terrible. Er, yeah. 33 Listen. and a half. Er, 20. Terrible. Dude, he, he, he didn't even crack.
1: Jump 28th percentile. Bench press 19th percentile. Didn't do the short shuttle. Has a good 10 yard split. Maybe they can make him a linebacker, but I just. <laughs> This is a guy exactly. I think is just not going to work out at safety.
2: I, I would love to disagree with you here because I think Geno Stone is a smart player from what yeah. I've seen. But he you need to be an athlete in the NFL, and he does not have the athletic traits to do it. So yeah. he could be maybe a special teamer. But even then, you want somebody with athletic upside. So I, I don't see it with Geno Stone either.
1: Yeah, and it's not like – you know I don't want to make too much of the combine. I never try to because like – just think about like two years ago when everybody made too much of Orlando Brown Jr. at the combine. He had like the most disastrous combine ever. The right tackle for the Ravens, who's now like immediately evolved into one of the better right tackles in the NFL. But it's different kind of with guys like that because with with Orlando Brown Jr., what we're seeing here is the typical okay. And this is kind of how I feel about Makai Becton, Nick. With Orlando Brown Jr., we're what we're seeing is a guy who's 6'8 eight and massive with pretty good feet. Who they it doesn't matter how he tests athletically because again. Ends just simply can't get around him. There's nowhere to go. He's too massive and too long. And that, again, with, too, with solid enough feet, not the best footwork, but solid enough feet. And again, this is again how I feel about Makai Becton and kind of like times three because he's he actually is an insane athlete and he's even longer and bigger than somebody like Orlando Brown Jr. at Oklahoma. But... I think it's different for different positions, and I think when it comes to safety, to have this just devastatingly terrible level of athleticism that Geno Stone has, I just don't see it translating to anything more than, like, a will linebacker conversion at the next level in, in sub just
2: yeah, and in the best-case best case scenario for Geno Stone is he'd be another Big Ten safety coming out who's now a linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he would be Nathan Gary. Yeah. And I don't believe – you can ask any Eagles fans. Nathan Gary isn't exactly the most beloved player over there in Philadelphia. So I, it's just not – and I think Gary was a better athlete than Stone, too. So I agree with you here.
1: Without a doubt, Nick. All right, any other guys you want to touch on before we sign off, or is that it for players we're trying to avoid at cost?
2: Yeah, it all comes down to value uh, for me and, and obviously for you. And that's what the draft's about is getting the most value out of your picks and being able to develop and all those things. And it, you would hope that these NFL franchises are in a cohesive spot with the front office and the coaching staff and everybody – in both of those realms are together. And that's just not always the case from everything that I've heard and people that I know in the industry. But I'm hoping that that's what is going on with the New York Giants right now with Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge, the new staff and everything. And hopefully they can hit this in stride and go after the right players for this specific team, for Jason Garrett's offense, for Patrick Graham's defense. Because when I look at Jerry Reese and what he did, I don't believe that was the case whatsoever whatsoever for the Tom Coughlin and the Kevin Gilbrides and all the coaches that they had throughout that time. So that's what I hope. And yeah, as for right now, I don't have any other players for this list to answer your question.
1: Yep. And just to recap then, we have avoid Derek Brown, defensive tackle on day one. On day two, avoid Austin Jackson, offensive tackle USC. Avoid Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle Georgia. Avoid Raquan Davis, defensive tackle Alabama. Avoid Nick Harris, center Washington. Avoid Khalid Kareem, edge from Notre Dame. Avoid A.J. Epinesa, a defensive end, guy that just doesn't fit the Giants. Day two from Iowa. Avoid DeAndre Swift, Kyle Duggar, T. Higgins, and Geno Stone. And then we also would not take a chance on Eason or Fromm at cost. And remember, at cost we expect to be early or late day two um, at to be a backup quarterback or you know maybe eventually replace Daniel Jones if he's not the answer. So that's our avoid list for today. Thank you again for tuning in. More content coming. We're doing our push. We're, we guaranteed a podcast a day leading up to the draft, and we're going to do it. We're going to pull it off. But for those of you who want to help promote the show and help grow the show, all we'll ask, ever ask from you is if you haven't rated and reviewed us on iTunes yet, please head to your iTunes or wherever your app is that you review podcasts, preferably iTunes, though, and give us a rating and a review Also, make sure you download every podcast. That's really key for us. And subscribe to the podcast so they can pop up when new ones show. Thank you to all of you who took the time to write reviews. MQ Riley said, I've spent years looking for a decent Giants podcast. I'm so glad I finally found one in this podcast. There's a ton of very in-depth analysis. It beats the same old trite takes you hear over and over from the beat reporters. I just thought that was a really... Uh, poignant review, and I really appreciate that. Another one I re- that really stood out to me was from uh, John H777, who said, Honest, insightful views on Big Blue. It's refreshing to have some such an insightful podcast that doesn't stray into hot takes and trite commentary on the Giants. Another another trite reference here. I like it. The guests are always resourceful, and the discussion on the Giants is always educated and unbiased. I look forward to each release. So that's all we're trying to be. We're trying to be educated, unbiased, balanced, um, and Dive into this from how two people, two fans and friends would talk about it, because that's how I feel when I discuss the Giants with the Knicks, but also how two analysts who really want to focus on the in-depth, nitty-gritty X and, X's and O's of why things happen would talk about the New York Giants. And that's all we're trying to do here. So really do appreciate it. And also shout out to those of you, because it's been three of you already, who reached out to me to find uh, the tape. I, you know, I mentioned that Makai Beckton's pass sets uh, from every game this past season were on youtube so i linked some of you guys to that if anyone else is trying to watch some Makai becton tape go ahead give me a shout and i'll drop you those links i'm hoping that he uploads makai becton's run blocking snaps that's the stuff i want to watch i want to see every run block blocking snap from Makai becton from the 2019 season because it's okay to watch him pass pro, but it's downright fun to watch this dude in the run game so i'd love to see that so for sure shout out there and, and guys stay safe as always and we'll talk to you soon because we've got more coming